Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. I, I want to continue today in our series about the power that's in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. How I many know there's power in his blood? We just got done singing about it, but there's power in his blood, amen? And as a preliminary sermon, we talked about the actual substance of blood and how the power of life itself is in the blood. Then last week, we got into the power of Jesus' shed blood to atone or cover. And, and this week, I want to get into another aspect of the blood of Jesus. And I want to start by just reading Isaiah 53, 1 through 5. 53, Isaiah 53, 1 through 5. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of, of comeliness and when we see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was buried for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Now, last week, I focused again on the power of his blood to atone and, and really got into atonement for our sins. But in that atonement, there is a covering for our sickness and disease as well. And as you go through the scriptures, you can't help but see a, a real connection between Christ's atoning work on the cross and our healing. There is a provision, a real provision of healing within the atonement. Can you say amen? But this isn't an easy subject to preach because it often creates more questions than answers. Why did this person get healed and that one didn't? Why would a good God allow this good, innocent person to pass away? I believe the reason for this is that we are such a cut and dry people. This is why it's hard to preach. This is why the questions come up. We like to know the exact answers to questions, don't we? We like absolutes within our belief systems, but. When it comes to the subject of divine healing, I have to tell you this morning, it's impossible to construct a formula to guarantee its manifestation. That may shock some of you that I said that, but here, listen to what I said. It's impossible to construct a formula, a surefire formula that guarantees its manifestation. I, I, I used to love math. I don't know why I don't anymore, but maybe it's because all those uh, doing homework with the girls uh, frustrated me a lot because they changed the way you do math. Has anybody experienced this? So now I don't like it. But I used to like, amen, someone said. I used to love math, and geometry was probably my favorite class, but, but I really did like algebra as well. At least the questions, or I'm sorry, the equations that uh, became... Uh, at least until the equations became so difficult that they sort of sucked the fun out of it for me. But, but I liked figuring, figuring it out, thinking it through, and, and trying to piece together. And, and sometimes my teachers would be frustrated with me because I'd find ways to figure it out and it wasn't the right way. You know how that is, you're plugging in numbers, you trial and error, your, your, your brain goes faster sometimes than writing it out on paper, that kind of stuff. And I figured it out faster than I was maybe supposed to in some cases. But and maybe that's because we, we, we're in a world that is so full of questions and answers. Maybe that's why we like math. I liked math so much. Math was a subject that always had answers. Don't you get tired of always having to question everything? It's hard, and there's a lot of questions out there, and I, I get that. But math was, and I, I guess still is, a subject that always has the answer to, those, to the questions that the subject presents. And I like the equations, especially where there weren't any variables. Equations like two plus two <laughs> equals four. That's a great equation, right? It's easy, 
It's absolute, it's cut and dry. Not having variables within a math question basically meant that it was no problem to solve it, right? No problem. You don't have to put the other two on there yet, so just put that first one up there. Thank you. Yeah, you'll take it out. He's, he's so smart. <laughs> oh, maybe it is. I'm looking at a different thing up here. Anyway, two plus two equals four. So easy, so cut and dry. It's the answer, right? I mean, it's just absolute, and I love that. No variables. But put variables in the equations, like two plus a minus b equals two b. Some of you are like, oh no, I don't even know what you're talking about now. And all of a sudden, there's an actual problem to solve. It's, and it's been a long time since I took algebra, but what I remember is that when there are multiple variables, sometimes the only answers you can arrive at will still contain variables. Does that make sense? Which is kind of like saying there's no real definitive answer. And that was kind of tough to deal with. I mean, I like two plus two equals four. Two plus a minus b equals two b. If you're gonna solve for a, the answer is a equals three b minus two. I didn't get that because I'm smart. I, I, I asked my daughter Abby and she told me. <laughs> but that's solving for a. And it, that contains, the answer contains variables. So it's not a definitive answer. That's hard for me to swallow. But this is a little bit how divine healing is to me. The plethora of unknowns, variables in any given situation make it impossible to put the truth of divine healing into a one-size-fits-all formula. You, you just can't do it and be, be completely scriptural sound, sound, scripturally sound. Let me say it this way. If we can put the truths we hold dear in our hearts as Christians into formulas, an easy one might be Romans 10, verse 9, which says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? Confession plus belief equals salvation. Pretty simple, it's easy, it's absolute. There's, there's very little question, except for maybe having to define what confession and belief mean. But most Christians would say they agree with this despite denominational labels. This is not how it is with the subject of divine healing. There is no definitive scripture that just lays it out in an absolute way. Even so, there, there are plenty of scriptures about divine healing, enough to form a doctrine of belief the doctrine of divine healing happens to be the assemblies of God, one of their cardinal beliefs. So it, it, it's, there's enough scripture to form that kind of doctrine. But any formula you arrive at, formula you arrive at, will have variables in it. Some might say, well, Pastor Barry, I, I think faith plus applied blood equals physical healing. And I, I put the question mark on there. Because does it always, every time, every situation? Is there not any variables involved in that? My question would be, why then did the Apostle Paul get healed of a poisonous snake bite, but then he wasn't healed of the thorn in his flesh? He certainly knew how to apply the blood of Jesus, and I'm certainly not going to believe that his faith was lacking what it needed to receive the healing he wanted. You have to have faith, right? That's a common denominator throughout the Word of God in, in, involving healings. Obviously, we know that. And I, I believe you have to have faith. I believe faith is a part of that divine healing. I see it in Scripture. But how much faith do you need? That becomes a variable. Maybe a mustard seed's worth? That's what Jesus said was required to speak to a mountain and have it pick itself up and throw itself into the sea. But then why doesn't every full-of-faith believer, I mean, you only need a mustard seed. How many have a mustard seed's worth of faith in here? I mean, it's not much. Have you seen a mustard seed? Pretty tiny. So if we have a mustard seed's worth of faith, how come there's a lot of full of faith or mustard seed faith type believers, how come they don't see incredible amounts of divine healing manifested in their lives? What about needing to apply the blood? How does one actually do that? I mean, symbolically, you can plead the blood of Jesus. That's applying it, sure. A person can speak the blood of Jesus over sickness, but does that work if there's hidden sin in the person's life? Does it work if there's hidden sin in the life of the one who's praying? Does it work every time if there isn't hidden sin? Can doctors and the operations they perform be a part of divine healing? I'm, I'm talking about variables here. There's a lot of variables. 
If using medicine makes a person well, is it really divine healing? Can that be a part of it? Can you pray wrong for healing and miss it? Does God look at a a new, uninstructed Christian and say no to their prayers of healing because they prayed wrong? And some of these questions, I, I know, they're ridiculous, right? But I've heard good Christian people make some crazy statements and ask these same kinds of questions. And the answer is this, there are variables, variables that are unknown, and those variables make constructing a definitive formula for healing impossible. And hear my heart today. I'm not trying to mess up your theology or confuse anyone on this. I'm trying to get us to understand that there are some things that we just can't answer. Hello? There's some things we just can't answer. We can't figure it out. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you could answer everything, then you'd be God. You know, I find it very, very interesting that, that we can all agree and we can, we can think and get our, we, we, can, we can get our minds wrapped around salvation so we think. But how does a God send his only son, his son lives a perfect life, and he allows him to, to not just take on our sin, but to become sin? How does that work? You know, if you, and we, we accept it, we go, oh yeah, that's true, that's true. But can we really get our mind wrapped around that one? I can't. That love, the love that that took, understand, he bore the sin of the world, past, present, and future upon him. He became sin. God had to turn his back on him because he couldn't look at him. His perfect son he couldn't look at because he became sin. And when you say past, present, and future sins, there's, that's a lot of sin, right? My mind goes, what have I done in the last, you know, 30, 40 years? Okay, 50 years almost. What, what am I into now? What, 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 where do I fall now? What, what am I going to fall in the future? I mean, I, I might sin in the future probably. I think about that, but then I, it, it goes far beyond that because he died for the world's sins. Every foul-mouthed, vile human being and everything they've done. I, I'm sorry, but Hitler? The sex-trafficking people that treat human beings like they're garbage? He died for all of that. We go, oh yeah, we, we, yeah, Jesus died for everybody's sin, we get that, we believe that. You really get that? We think we do, but I don't think we do. That's a lot to get your mind wrapped around. But then it comes to divine healing and we're like, oh, I, I just, I, I don't know if I believe that, I can't get my mind wrapped around that, so I can't figure that one out. It's got too many variables, so I'll just either leave it hang there, I won't believe it, I'll go to one extreme or the other in my thinking. You know, the doctrine of salvation doesn't cause a lot of division in the big C church, does it? But the the doctrine of divine healing is a major divider. That's because one has a whole lot more variables. Some say divine healing was... Only for biblical times, others say that if you follow the formula, you'll always be healed in every situation, every time. In other words, if you don't get healed, it's your own fault. But truthfully, those are wrong. When you go to the extreme of any side of an issue or doctrine of belief, you will soon arrive at being arrogantly wrong, and you will leave a wake of destruction behind you. I'm tired, church, of the hurt that comes from well-intentioned Christians. And I'll say well-intentioned because they do mean well who offer formulas as absolutes. Yes, there are solid principles, don't get me wrong. There are solid principles that we can stand on. There are things we can do in reference to divine healing that are, that are absolutely what we should be doing. But when their surefire formulas fail, can you say that fast 10 times? There are broken people on the other side. People who often feel like God is a vendetta against them or that he doesn't really care. I knew a, a lady, she, she, uh, she was a friend of mine in high school and she ended up in Iowa and I ended up in Iowa and she, uh, she called here one day and, and she heard I was a pastor here and she called and, and she said, um, I just heard you were a pastor, I, w- I, went, I was going to ask for prayer and we got talking over the phone and, and here she had had a miscarriage and her church family, she went to a Bible-believing church, her church family told her that Satan stole her baby. 
I'm tired of that kind of garbage. Because she's sitting there destroyed. What did I do to have Satan steal my baby? It makes no sense. The things that well-intentioned, I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, well-intentioned Christians say. There's broken people when that happens. People often feel like God is a vendetta, like I said, against them, or he doesn't care at all. I know people who have walked away from God completely because the formula for healing that they were told and they latched onto didn't seem to work. And let me be crystal clear this morning. There is power, hear me, there is power in the blood of Jesus to heal. That is not a question here today. That's a statement that we can take to the bank. We can hang our hat on that. And if I pray and I see the manifestation of that healing, I'm going to jump for joy and praise God. And if I pray and I don't see the manifestation of that healing, I'm going to keep on praying and I'm going to keep jumping for joy and I'm going to keep praising God. Most of us have prayed that God would heal someone who ended up not receiving the healing that we prayed for. But God's word is clear that healing has been provided for in the atonement. So I'm going to keep on praying, believing, and praising him for that healing in spite of the unknown variables. I'm going to keep believing in faith and believing the, the prayer of faith or praying the prayer of faith in spite of what I see or what I don't see. Take it back to the analogy of the math equation for just a second. The answers to those equations that contain unknown variables when the answer has unknown variables in it, like we talked about, guess what? They're still true. Just because an equation contains unknown variables and its answer even contains unknown variables doesn't make the math statement untrue. Are you following me? Likewise, just because we aren't privy to all the unknown variables when it comes to someone's needing divine healing doesn't take away from the fact that there's power in the blood shed blood of Jesus to heal. It doesn't take that away. All I'm really saying is that even though we don't know, even though we don't know the definitive works, the, the definitive works every single time when we want it to work formula, okay? Even though we don't know that kind of formula for divine healing, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus shed blood still heals. I, I know a, a lady that went to church here. You, a lot of you know her as well. Um, um, her name is Miss Shirley. I'll leave it at that. Miss Shirley taught her kids, and Miss Shirley's a wonderful, wonderful human being, and, and she's in the nursing home now and, and in the memory care center. So she doesn't remember a lot, but she's still a pretty smiley person that, uh, that loves Jesus. But when Shirley was here, uh, there was, this was years ago, we experienced something with her that was pretty amazing. She lived alone, and she had had a pretty tough life, I can say it like that. And she... Uh, um, had been living, again, living for Jesus for a long time. But she experienced this, this toothache that she started having. Some of you know the story. She got this toothache and she, was, she got to looking in the mirror and it happened to be a tooth that she had had a crown put on about 15 years previous. She remembers, um, and she looked at it and it was gray in color, she said, and she remembers that's how it always looked. And she was feeling more and more pain with it. And she said, Jesus said while she was standing there in front of her bathroom mirror, she said, Lord, I don't want to deal with this pain. Can you please take it away? And then she didn't really think much of it. You know how we go through life and we, we kind of just deal with things. And four days went by and she was like, hmm, I don't have any pain in that thing. So she went in the mirror and she pulled back her, her cheek, her lip, and she looked and she had a bright gold cap on that tooth. Okay, said, so, well, I don't know if I believe that. Okay, so she came to the church and she showed us. That thing gleamed like the Empire State Building, like the top of the Chrysler Building, right? That thing was shiny and it was gold. So what do you do in that situation? Well, we believed her. I didn't believe she went to the dentist and got a gold cap. I don't think that she was lying to us. We actually called Dr. Rundle, who was a dentist at the time. He came into the conference room and, and we told him about it and he looked at it and he goes, that's a perfect gold crown. Perfect, perfect gold crown. He goes, I don't know, that's a perfect gold crown. Then I asked Shirley, just to qualify this, this, this miracle that happened. 
I asked her, I said, where did you get that original crown? And she said, well, it would have been um, in Quincy, Illinois, where she lived at one time. Is that a place, Quincy, Illinois? Yeah, that's a place. So I, I said, do you remember the dentist's name? She thought she did, and she, she told me, and then I, I went and looked it up online. I called the dentist, and I said, this is a really weird question. I got the receptionist. This is a really weird question, but... This is what's taken place, and I just want to see what kind of crown was put in her mouth 15 years ago. Do you have records about that? And she's like, well, we don't really have records like that, per se, but there is a couple boxes downstairs. I'll go look. Can you hold it? I'm like, sure. And I'm like, okay, how long is this going to take? You know, I'm, I'm picturing this dark basement, dusty, and there's piles of boxes everywhere. She's back on the phone within really just, I mean, a very, very short time, and she goes, I found her folder, and I'm like, what? She goes, it's really crazy. I reached in the first box I looked in, reached in and pulled her folder out, is what the lady said on the phone. I, I kid you not. And she, she, uh, she said, yep, we put a crown, and it was on, she go, and I didn't know what, by cuspid or all, I don't know any of that. So um, we counted over, you know, from the teeth, from the back to the front, and yep, that was the tooth that had the crown on it which was now gold. And she said, yep, it would have been, the kind of crown we put on back then would have been kind of gunmetal gray in color back then. It wasn't gunmetal gray anymore. It was shiny. And she had no pain. So we looked for uh, the evidence to, to qualify it. And guess what? It all turned out great. She had a miracle take place in her mouth. That's a great story, right? Fast forward a few years. Shirley no longer has a gold crown on that tooth. There is a crown, but it faded back to the gray color that it was before. She also has no more pain in that tooth. Hasn't since. So praise God. And, then, and, and, and let's put a formula to it, right? In fact, everyone in here who has a toothache, let's retrace the steps of Shirley and do the exact same thing. Because that's how you'll get your miracle tooth. Man, I, I have a crown that I need to get. I would just soon God do it so I didn't have to pay for it, right? Just follow the formula. Tell me, church, that we never do things like that, where we create a formula for something and we try to mimic it the exact same way. We see a miracle, then we inject ourselves into it and try to reproduce it in ourselves. Oh, here's the formula to receive a healed tooth. You know what we're doing when we do that? We are literally making a religion out of something miraculous that God has done. Then as we keep moving in our human efforts to reproduce it, we wonder why we aren't seeing the miraculous healings that Jesus said we would, that he said would be our very entourage. Mark 16, 17 through 20. And these signs will follow entourage, get it? Follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Healings are gonna happen. It's an entourage. It'll follow those that believe. It's not about what you do. It's about what he has done by shedding his blood. The formula always involves us doing things, doesn't it? but it's about what he has done by shedding his blood. The goal is not to figure out the formula. The goal should be how to get out of his way so that he can unleash the miraculous healing power that was provided in the atonement through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. Thomas Trask, a former general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, he shared this testimony. He said, uh, Years ago, when my father was a board member at the Assembly of God Church in Brainerd, Minnesota, there was a man named Wally Johnstone who had a hideous cancer on his lip. The cancer had been removed but had grown back. The doctors told Wally that the cancer would progress down his throat to his jugular vein and then he would die. Johnstone, a, a new Christian, was, was reading James 5.14. He called the pastor and said, Pastor, get the deacons over here and pray for me. The pastor called my father and said, Waldo, I want you to get the deacon board together and meet me at Johnstone's house. When they arrived, Wally said, 
I was reading in James that if anyone is sick, he needs to call for the elders of the church who are to anoint him with oil, pray for the prayer of faith, and the Lord will raise him up. I've done what the Lord has told me to do. I've called the elders. Now, you men are going to anoint me with oil, lay hands on me, pray the prayer of faith, and the Lord is going to heal me. So they gathered around him, anointed him with oil, and began to pray. While, there was, while they were praying, the cancer fell off Johnstone's lip onto the floor, and he lived to be 92 years old. There's power in the shed blood of Jesus, power to heal. Do you see what happened here? Wally, a new Christian, acted on the word, and the Lord confirmed his word with signs following, as we read in Mark. Instead of wasting time trying to hone in on a formula there, God just expects us to obey his word. It's just that simple. That's the other thing about formulas. We make it so hard. We juggle it around. How, how am I going to get this to work? Just relax. The blood of Jesus has the power to heal. Let me read James 5, 14 through 15, because it's a good lesson for any of us. Is anyone among you sick? There's principles in here that we follow. It doesn't mean they're formulas. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. It says the prayer of faith will save the sick. Yeah, healing's in there. But I, it, it, break this verse down and, and really break it down and guess what you get? The emphasis is on really the salvation part. And sickness can be not just physical sickness, it's all sorts of sickness. Don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that this verse doesn't talk about physical healing. It does, but it talks about other stuff too. There's an emphasis here. I'm not trying to be nasty today or mess, again, mess with anybody's theology, but we are so good at going, hmm, I need a scripture. We pull it out. That's my scripture. And we don't look at the context. We don't look at the conditions around those promises sometimes. Some of you aren't going to leave me alone on the phone after this message. I want you to understand, I want you to understand that it is human nature to try and create the formula. But there isn't a definitive formula for divine healing. However, that doesn't mean that we are totally ignorant of the principles involving divine, divine healing. There are unknown variables, there are unknown integers with, with equations. There are also unknown variables that become known as you work the problem. I, I, and I believe the same is true for divine healing. We know the truth of its reality, and even some of those principles on how to get there, but we often just have to go on faith when it comes to those situations and be ready to learn and receive what God is teaching us through those situations. I remember my dad when he was just about ready to you know, make his transition, as we say. And I remember kneeling by his bed and saying, Dad, this, this healing thing's sure taken a long time, isn't it? And he hadn't really talked too much before this, and I've shared this story before, but, but he opened his eyes when I said that, and he looked right at me and goes, yeah, but I'm learning stuff. Don't ever stop learning. I'm not saying God made him sick so he could teach him something. I didn't say that. I would never say that. Because that's not true. But in the midst of the sickness, God can teach you things. And you can learn. And that's what he was doing. I, I want to put this all into application this morning. Let's say you or someone you loved is diagnosed with a disease. What do you do? Or maybe it's as simple as coming down with an illness that's an inconvenience to you. What do you do? I'm just going to give you some principles that I, that I uh, have learned, and I'm, I'm going to do this pretty quickly. Are you still with me this morning, or am I boring you? Number one, go to the Lord in prayer. Just go to the Lord in prayer. Personally, my prayers, again, these aren't formulas. These are principles, that, that things you can do that are, that are solidly uh, scriptural. Go to the Lord in prayer. Personally, my prayers would start with, I plead the blood of Jesus over my health or my loved one's health right now in the mighty name of Jesus. That's how I'd start. And when you plead guilty or not guilty in a court of law, you are pleading your position within the facts, right? When we plead the blood of Jesus, we are pleading our position within the facts. The facts are the blood of Jesus atones for our sin, and in that atonement, there is healing provided. 
Plead the blood. I'm a blood-bought child of the living God. We are pleading our position as blood-bought believers. Pleading the blood isn't like saying abracadabra, okay? Can I, I just need to say that. Well, just plead the blood, plead the blood, plead the blood. Abracadabra, you're healed. Abracadabra, you're healed. It's not like saying abracadabra. It will be effective only if you are truly positioning yourself as a blood-bought believer in Christ, okay? I would also add to my prayers, Lord, if there be any wayward way in me, reveal it to, to my heart. Is, is there anything that is coming between you and me? Show me, God. I want to know what it is. No matter how difficult it may be to hear, show me so that I might repent. If there's unforgiveness or bitterness or some kind of selfish way deep within here, show me so I can get rid of it. I would pray that way. I would pray for strength. To be an example of Christ to others, even in my suffering, as sometimes sickness and disease are, are just merely the result of having to live in this fallen world. Sometimes that's just the only reason. And when I wrote that, I couldn't help but think of your beautiful little Maddie, how she was such a light. She was strong. That little body took so much, and she was so strong. I can't talk about it anymore. I won't be able to talk. I would also take authority over that sickness and pray that it would be gone in the name of Jesus as sometimes sickness is the, is the result of spiritual attack. I would pray that way. So number one, I'd go to the Lord in prayer and I'd pray all sorts of prayers in those veins. And then number two, I'd ask the elders to go to the Lord in prayer on my behalf. So more prayer. We just read it. James 5, 14 through 15, we, we call for the elders of the church. And I'm still amazed by how many people miss this. If you're sick, it says, you call for the elders of the church. Don't sit there in your sickness and mope because the elders didn't call upon you. Well, if they really cared, they'd call me. They'd check on me. Well, if you had faith, you'd call them. Why should I call you and rob you of your opportunity to step out in faith and make the call yourself. Wouldn't I be doing you a disservice? And by the way, putting it on Facebook isn't calling for the elders. You laugh, but I've heard it. You didn't call me when I was sick. I didn't know you were sick. I had it on Facebook. Like, that's what we do all day, is just look through Facebook. Well, some of you do. That's what these altars are for. Sorry, I'm, off, I'm way off now. <laughs> Call the church. You ask, hey, can the elders come over and pray for me? We will never say no to that. Okay? We'll never say no to that. You calling for the elders is your act of faith. So... Go to the Lord in prayer, ask the elders to go to the Lord in prayer, and number three, get in God's presence as much as possible. Man, if I got some bad news about my health, I would crank up the worship music, I would let his presence just fill me up, I would get into the word of God or just play the word continually within ear's reach. Uh, I would play it all night long even when I was sleeping. The word of God is like health food for your spirit. Just fill yourself up with God's presence any way that you can. Fill yourself up with his word. Read the word aloud, declare it over your body. Jesus is the word in the flesh, so it's the most tangible thing that we have in reference to Christ. Just fill yourself with his word. That's what I'd do. Better yet, do it before you're sick. You know, we're kind of these 911 Christians, right? We get serious when something bad happens. It's an emergency. Let's open the Bible. Quick, blow off the dust. <laughs> number four. I would get in his presence, number three. Get in God's presence as much as possible. Number four, speak life. Listen to life. I'm not talking about blab it and grab it, right? But I do believe that people of faith need to speak faith. It doesn't mean that you can't speak truthfully about a diagnosis you might have. But remember, don't speak of it with ownership attached to it, as in, 
Well, my, can my cancer is back. Since when is it your cancer? I'd say the reports show that the devil's cancer is back. Ain't mine. It's the devil's, right? But praise God, I believe in the power of his shed blood to heal. That's how I would speak. Not only would I watch my tongue, I would protect my ears. I wouldn't allow negativity in. in. Truth, yes. Even if it's not the best news, but I wouldn't allow gossip, slander, cursing, murmuring, or pessimistic garbage in. Not from a movie or a television show, not from a person. In fact, I would do the opposite. I'd find every testimony of healing I could find, and I would read them, watch them, listen to them, until my faith was built up. I would go into faith-building mode as much as possible. Number five, just a principle, go to the doctor. Whew. Shoot low, Sheriff, they're riding Shetlands. You know? Go to the doctor. Well, that's not faith. I would go to a good doctor, preferably one that believes in the power of prayer. And I would take their advice. Healing hands can come through different means. God uses doctors to heal all the time. You don't think Amira, that God uses her gift as a healing gift? Are you crazy? Or Michelle Hunderdoss? Or some of the nurses that are in here? Or Rob? Hatchet? Every good thing comes from the Lord. Medical knowledge, wisdom, and even medicine. How many praise God for medicine once in a while? Man, I tell you what, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I got a little time here. I had a... Uh, kidney stone one time, and a holy hush fell over the crowd. <laughs> a lady in our church is struggling with one of those, and she just told me it's worse than giving birth, which I would have said that before, even though I don't know what it's like giving birth, but now it's verified because a lady has said it, so who has given birth? I went, I didn't know what was happening. I thought I was dying. I was like rolling around. Oh, had no idea. Got to the doctor and they gave me morphine. Yeah. All good things come from the Lord. It was like someone wrapped me in warm blankets and just the pain just subsided. I'm not promoting drug addiction, okay? I'm not. <laughs> Jesus, listen to this. Jesus told those he healed of leprosy to go show themselves to the priests. Those were the ones who would medically look over them and declare them clean. They were doctors in a sense, in that sense. Personally, I don't understand those that say going to the doctor is a lack of faith. I know people who haven't gone to the doctor because of that, and they've died. Doctors are gifts from the Lord. And you know, just like anything else, there's some crazy doctors out there. There's some goofballs out there. There's some goofball pastors. What do you do for a living, Corey? You're an electrician. There's some goofball electricians. I'm not so sure you're not one of them. No, I'm just kidding. Amen, someone said. Wow. <laughs> Six, healing is for body, soul, and spirit, your whole being. I think it's important to mention that the healing we are talking about is not just physical. God is concerned with our soul and spirit as well. And we know that God heals our spirit when we are born again, right? That part of us that used to be dead is now healed and whole again. Within our soul is our mind, will, and emotions, and these days it seems like we need more healing of the mind and the emotions than ever before. These principles are, are, are just as true for this type of healing, and, and, and here's a thought for you. The church often gets so focused on physical and bodily healing that we, we can forget that 
any physical healing in our bodies that we may experience is temporary at best. I want you to listen to this. I know I've been talking a long time, but I, I still got a few minutes, right? Physical healing is temporary at best. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says it is appointed once for a man to die. That day will happen. There will come a day if we live long enough, enough, and if Jesus tarries, that we will pass away from this earth and our physical body will die. So any physical healing we experience is temporary, but we spend all our time focusing on that sometimes. Guess what? We need some healing up here and in here because this part of us lasts forever. Have you ever thought about that? It's also true that when our soul and our spirit are walking in the healing that he provides, they're healthy, they're experiencing that divine health, those parts, again, of our being will live forever. That opens the door when our soul and our spirit are healthy and and, and we will get to go and spend eternity in heaven. That opens the door for our bodies to be healed and transformed into new bodies on that day. There's something exciting about the fact that we aren't just handed new bodies at the resurrection. The dead in Christ will rise first, and this perishable body, hear me, will take on imperishability. This mortal will take on immortality, right? Even our bodies will be forever healed. I think it's, it's, it's a point that needs to be made. He doesn't go, okay, you're, you're, you're in heaven now, your, your soul, your spirit, it's here. Here's your new body, boom. He goes back down into the ground where your body's buried, and he pulls that one out. He wouldn't have to do that. Why does he? Well, I don't know, but I think that day, every healing prayer that's ever been prayed for any believer in Christ that maybe wasn't answered will be answered that day. And God is, he's up, you know, he's not, he's not bound by time. Seven. And I'll stop at seven. I could come up with more, lots more. Because there's principles all over the word of God. Things you should do if if you find yourself diagnosed or sick. I'm telling you what, this last couple weeks I've been studying the blood and uh, my knees when I was getting out of bed, oh my goodness, I couldn't even stand up. I'm like, listen, I'm getting old. One day I even grabbed a cane out of the usher's closet around here because I got up and I literally couldn't walk. And I was like, I got this cane out and she goes, put that away. She was right. I should have put it away. But what I wasn't doing was pleading the blood. And as I was studying it, just like, you know, hello, George McFly, you know, that had one of those moments. And so I just, I put my hands on my knees and I said, I plead the blood of Jesus over my knees right now. I'm telling you what. They don't hurt at all. I still get winded when I do that, but they don't hurt. (laughs) Now where the heck am I? Number seven. Know that healing was provided for. Just know it. Get it way down in your spirit. Know that you 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 know that healing has been provided for. There's not a surefire definitive formula but it doesn't change the facts. Sickness and disease were a part of the curse that came upon mankind as a result of Adam and Eve sinning in the garden. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. (sighs) Really was winded. It is through Christ's shed blood on the cross that the curse has been undone. And you might say, well, if the curse has been undone, then why do we still have sickness? Because we live in this fallen world, and even though we might be redeemed from the curse of the law as the result of our decisions for Christ, many in the world have not made that decision, and we still live here. The best way to say this is the kingdom of God has come, and it is yet coming. This old world will not return to perfection like they had in the Garden of Eden until it melts with fervent heat and a new heaven and a new earth come to pass. And that is going to be a glorious day because there'll be no more sickness and no more disease and no more pain, no more aging, no more wearing out, no more being winded. 
They'll just be a forever together to look forward to. And I know there's many of you who have lost loved ones fairly recently. Guess what? That day's a coming. And it's going to be an awesome day. I was talking with Jory Hunderdoss the other day, and he's so fun to, fun to talk about, or talk to with about the, uh, <laughs> what? It's fun to talk about him. Oh, I don't know what I said, but I said it. <laughs> He's fun to talk to about the prophetic and those Old Testament foreshadowings and all the uh, biblical types of Christ that are contained in the Old Testament. And we got talking about the old Charlton Heston movie, The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, right? And he reminded me that in the movie, as the Israelites left Egypt, as many of, as two million of them, we were just talking back and forth, two million or more were with them. It says there were 600,000 men on foot that left Egypt when the Israelites left Egypt. And then they had all their families too. So maybe, a, a, I think a, a conservative number would be two million. And they were so wrongfully depicted in this Hollywood movie. Old people were being carried by the healthy and the lame had crutches and they were, they were trying to, to say how miraculous it was that all these people got out of Egypt. And with that number, there's, there had to be some that were like old and feeble and you know, being carried. And, and I never thought anything of it. Then Jory shared a verse with me in Psalms, which kind of was an epiphany to him when he saw it. Because when you read in the Exodus account, it doesn't, it doesn't say this, but it says this in Psalms. The psalmist is talking about God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, and it's, he says in Psalm 105, 37, he also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. I mean, just think of that. Two million or more people. But not one was feeble? From the oldest to the youngest, there was none feeble among them. These, these people had been prisoners, slaves. They were slave labor. They weren't treated nice their whole life. And there was none feeble among them? That's incredible. But maybe the reason is, is this. They had just partaken of the first Passover lamb that had been sacrificed. The blood had been applied to their households as it is, is, is it possible that they were all experiencing divine healing based off of what was to come when the Passover lamb, the lamb of God himself, Jesus Christ, sacrificed once and for all? Could this have been a little bit of a foreshadowing of the truth that there's power in the shed blood of Jesus to heal? Absolutely it could be that. We have to understand and believe that healing is provided for. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. And let's remember, these aren't formulas. They are principles that can lead you towards the healing that God has provided through the shed blood of Christ. There's as many variables as there are situations surrounding those who become sick. That's just the truth of the matter. But don't let yourself be discouraged. We are called to believe and pray and, the prayer, and pray the prayer of faith. We believe and so we act on the principles that we know to be true. We believe and we leave the results up to God. Not knowing all the variables does not change my belief in divine healing. I've seen it. Many of you have seen it. Many of you had questions, why this one and not that one? I don't know. Why does an older woman get a gold tooth and an 11-year-old girl pass away of cancer? I don't know. There's variables involved I can't explain, but it doesn't change the fact that the power, there's power in the blood of Jesus to heal. 
It's just that simple. And you know, 10,000 years from now, we're not going to care about this. But it hits at home today because we live here and we experience things here and everything's tangible here. If you're sick, if you've been diagnosed with something, if you're ailing, ask for prayer. In fact, this morning, I want to end this way. Elders, former elders, if your wives want to come, that's great. Would you just come down front for a second? Pastors, elders, I never told you guys this, so be ready in season and out of season, right? Even elders in training, I don't care, come on down. If there's any sick among you, have them call for the elders of the church. Okay, so I took away your act of faith, I called for the elders, right? Your act of faith this morning is stepping out of your chair and coming down and getting prayer. It's still you asking. It's still you asking. So this morning, would you bow your head and close your eyes? God, we're so thankful that you provided healing for us through your shed blood. And even though, God, we can't make a formula out of it, we know it's true. We believe it. We stand upon it. And we know, God, that we will experience it. There's so much life in your blood, it can't help but heal. If you need healing bodily, in your emotions, in your mind, body, soul, spirit, in your spirit, what what does that mean? If you've never asked Jesus in your heart and you need to, that's the first step. You'll find healing and, and wholeness within you. You'll get purpose like you've never had before. But for any one of those reasons, body, soul, spirit, you need healing, stand up and come on down. As the music. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.